Let's be turning to John chapter 19. When Christ was in the custody of Pilate, the Jews that had brought Christ to him, they said, if thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Those were threatening words. Those words carried some weight to Pilate's ears. Caesar is the emperor of the Roman Empire. And that man, by, by Caesar's authority, Pilate is the governor of Judea. And they're saying to him, if you let this man go, you're not Caesar's friend. You're no friend of Caesar's. And he knew, he knew these Jews, he knew who they were, and he knew you're not friends of Caesar's either. However, if he didn't hear these words, if he didn't take these words into account, he was sure that these words would come back to bite him because they would form the foundation of their complaint if they appealed unto Caesar, saying, Pilate let this man go, a political insurrectionist, a man who claims to be king, and you're the only king, Caesar. They would make that argument to Caesar. And so Pilate had to think real hard, <laughs> real quick, about what he was going to do. And it gives us a question. It makes us ask the question, who's friend am I? Am I the friend of Caesar, the friend of this world, or am I the friend of God? Do I love Caesar? Do I love this world? Or do I love the true and living God? James said it this way in chapter 2, verse 23, that the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. The testimony of Scripture is that the one who believes God, who hears his word, who receives his word, and believes the testimony of God, the Scripture says he is the friend of God. He receives him whom the Father has sent, believing this is my salvation. I'm to hear this man. I'm to believe him. The Father's well pleased with him. The Father has sent him. Believing God, one who believes God, is bearing testimony of living faith. They have living faith. That causes them to look away from self and look to the true and living God. And living faith, that faith is wrought not in this flesh, not of this flesh, but it's wrought by the Spirit of God in the new man, the creation of God. The creation of the Spirit of God, born after the seed of the Savior, born after the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ. Faith will take sides. 
and does take sides with God against ourselves. Faith knows that God is true, and every man is a liar. Believing God speaks of this this faith, this this hope that we have in the Lord. And the world is not kind to God's friends. The world can't touch God, but the world will touch the friends of God. If it can lay their hands on them, if God allow it, they'll, they'll, they'll lay their hands on God's friends. And that's because this flesh, what we are by nature, is enmity against the true and living God. Let's turn over to Romans. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And we're going to begin in verse 5. I want to read a few scriptures there. Paul tells us that they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. That's what our minds and thoughts are on. They're on the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit the things of the Spirit. Our minds and thoughts are on the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. You know, Cain was of the flesh. Cain was of the flesh, and his works did not please God. He brought to God the fruit of the dust of the earth, picturing the fruit of our wicked works in the flesh. What we bring forth of the flesh to God, God is not pleased with them. And Cain was angry with God. When he saw that God did not have respect unto his offering, but received his brother Abel's offering, he was angry. And he slew his own brother because he was angry with God. He was angry with him. There was enmity in Cain's heart. And it's only by a work of the grace of God. It is only by a work of the grace of God in our hearts Because of the redemption of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of his blood, it's only by a work of grace in our hearts that that enmity in our own heart is removed from controlling us and influencing us and and turning us away from the true and living God. But by the grace of God, we're turned from this world, from this flesh, from trusting ourselves and hearing the word of God and believing him trusting the true and living God. It's a spiritual work of grace done in our hearts, removing the heart of stone which is in us by nature and putting in a new heart of flesh, one that is soft and pliable to the hand of God, one that hears God and believes God. Let me finish in Romans 8, verses 9 and 10. But ye, brethren, ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body, this body, 
is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. This flesh is still as corrupt and vile and dead and unbelieving and and provoked by the things of God as it always has been, but by the grace of God. In the new man, we worship God and believe him and trust in him. Our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in the works of this flesh. We have no confidence in this flesh, and our confidence is not in this world. It's in the true and living God by the grace of God. Now, since Christ has been on trial, we've seen both the Jews and Pilate do a lot of manipulating of one another. They are manipulating each other. Back and forth, they're going. We're told by Mark and Matthew as well, but Mark tells us that Pilate knew that the chief priests had delivered Christ for envy. He knew it. He knew why they brought Christ there. He knew something of Christ. He knew how upset they were. He probably chuckled a few times hearing the stories of it. But he knew why they they brought Christ there. And so the chief priests were very crafty. They were very careful in, in the arguments that they brought to Pilate as to why he should put Christ to death. And so they never accused Christ of, of breaking some of breaking their law, of doing something of blasphemy, of something against their religion. They were very careful to show that what Christ was doing was, well, they were trying to show that he was an insurrectionist, a political insurrectionist. Had they said it was for religions, like their own religion's sake, Pilate could have weaseled out of it. He could have wormed out of it and had something to answer to Caesar, but they never said that. They always said, he's making himself a king and he's coming against Caesar. You've got to put him to death. And they did that to keep that pressure on Pilate. And that's the spirit of the world. That's exactly how this world operates. It'll lie. It'll cheat. It'll connive. It'll, it'll manipulate, it'll do anything it has to in order to serve its own flesh and to get what it wants for itself. And Pilate, by, by trying to not crucify Christ, he put himself in the crosshairs of the enmity of the world against the true and living God. And therefore, we read in John 19, verse 12, from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release Christ. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. Pilate would have to choose whose friend he was. Was he Caesar's friend? Was he a friend of this world to save himself or Christ's friend and risk being destroyed by the world that hates the true and living God and his Christ. And that's really, we face that. I've faced that in in jobs. I've felt that pressure. We face that among peers and friends and family and jobs and and all kinds of things that would would pressure us to say, whose friend are you? Whose side are you on? Who are you, and who do you think you are, and why are you talking like that suddenly? Why are you defending God? 
and they just rip you apart for it. They rip you apart for it. The world does not <clears throat> is no friend of God's. So Pilate knew these Jews could accuse him of treason against Caesar if he didn't crucify Christ. And Pilate knew then the buttons that he had to push. He he went right in and dialed it right up so that in the end he was able to deliver Christ up to them to be crucified, verse 16, and they took Jesus and led him away. He played the game and he went right along with it. Now he had no faith in Christ. He had no hope in Christ. But it shows us the natural heart and we felt it. We've all felt that in our hearts. And for shame, we have nothing good to boast in. Nothing good to say of ourselves. Now this account reveals that wicked heart of man. It shows us our depravity. It shows us why Christ is despised and rejected of men. When it came down to Pilate's career, he sided with the people who wanted Christ dead. And this is why it says in Acts 4.27, that of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together. Any one of them could have had Christ released. Any one of them. They didn't need one another's permission. They could have released him if they wanted it, but none of them did. And so they're all guilty of crucifying Christ. And it shows us what our heart is by nature. It, it shows us the darkness and the enmity of this heart. It shows us that if left to ourselves, if I'm left to myself, I will go the course of the world. That's what I will do. That's the enmity that's in my flesh and your flesh. When it comes to a man's worldly reputation, he's going to choose to please his fleshly lusts and passions. He's going to do what profits himself, what advances himself in the world. And Paul reminds us of this. He says in Ephesians 2.3, among whom also we all had our conversation. We did the same exact things as those yet in the world. We, in, in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. This course of the world that he spoke of in, in Ephesians 2, 2, it's the broad way that leadeth to destruction. The course of this world is the carnal mind that is enmity against God. The course of this world is the nature of this flesh. It's the, the friendship of this world and the natural man, the flesh, is right at home in it. Very comfortable in this world. Speaking of this very thing, James wrote in James 4.4, he said, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, and he's talking about idolatry. He's talking about spiritual adultery. He says, Know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And so, this flesh loves the world. Sad to say. This flesh loves the world. In spite of all the evil... That, that we see in the world, 
in spite of all the injustices that we see men inflicting upon other men, or the injustices that we've received from others or the system of this world, or the injustices that we ourselves have inflicted upon others, in spite of all those things, when it comes down to it, we would, if left to ourselves, we will turn to the world and trust the world to provide for us and to care for us and to help us out rather than the true and living God. We would sooner trust the world than God. And I know that because that's the very nature of my heart. That's the very nature of this flesh. And you can trace that all the way back through every generation, all the way back to Adam and Eve, who after they sinned and their eyes were open and they knew that they were naked, heard the voice of God walking in the cool of the garden, in the cool of the day, and they hid themselves. And when God called Adam to account, he said, I was afraid, and I was naked, and I hid myself when I heard your voice. And that's what we do. If God leaves us to ourselves, when we hear the voice of the Son of God declared in the gospel, we run and hide. We run and hide. Oh, I can't hear that. That's too much for me. I don't want to think about that right now. And we just put it off, put it off, put it off, until we can't put it off any longer. Turn with me to John 12. Let's go to John 12 and then just stay there for a bit. I'm going to return to it shortly again. In this passage, we're reminded of the old man's heart toward the Christ of God. To see that without the Holy Spirit, this is us. This is where where I would go without the grace of God. It says, verse 37, John 12, 37, But though Christ had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him, that the saying of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore, they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, The Holy Spirit moved Isaiah to write this, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their heart, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart, and be converted, and I should heal them. Man doesn't trust God, and that's exactly why we need the grace of God, and we need the mercy of God. We're not going to work ourselves out of this. We're not going to deliver ourselves from sin and death and destruction, because our very nature at its core is depraved, it's vile, it's sinful. We trespass against God like we're drinking water on a thirsty day. We're just, we're, we're wicked in ourselves. Left to ourselves, we all are unbelievers. Verse 41, These things said Isaiah when he saw Christ's glory and spake of him. That's Isaiah chapter 6. That's when he saw Christ's glory, when he saw Christ on the, on the throne and said, I'm a, I am undone. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. 
Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. This is a description of one who is a friend of the world. They would sooner side with the world than be found with Christ, confessing him and believing on him. They put their fleshly passions and and lusts before anything else because they don't want to be marked for the hatred of the world. But does man have a standing for mistrusting God? Does man have any valid reason for doubting God and for this enmity that he has against God? Does the coming of Christ say anything to us? Does the coming of Christ not show the grace and the mercy and the compassion and the love of God for sinners? That the Son of God should lay aside his glory and take up the weakness of this flesh and come as a substitute, as a surety, a sacrifice for his people. Does the coming of Christ not show us this? Does it justify man in his hardness and his unbelief? Or does the coming of Christ justify God and show us God? We have no business doubting God. We have no reason to mistrust the true and living God. In the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, we see God's kindness. We see God's love and mercy for sinners, for vile sinners. Those to whom he would be gracious. Those whom he receives in his darling son. Looking, continuing in John 12, verse 44, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me, seeth him that sent me. Would you know the true and living God? Not through the eyes of this mistrusting, cynical flesh. But would you know the true and living God? Then look at his son. (laughs) Look at the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how we see God's heart in truth. That's how we know who the true and living God is. Not through the eyes of Adam, but through the eyes of Christ. Because everything he did, everything he said was exactly according to what the Father sent him to do. The Father sent him here for this purpose. The Father gave him the words to say, and everything he said and did was according to the Father's will and purpose for his people. Then look look to the Lord, because he it says in, I think it's John 13, it says, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. He did nothing but love and mercy and showed mercy and kindness to his people. He says, verse 46, I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. That's that glorious light. We see the heart of God all the way back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, when God said, let there be light. 
And we know that's the uncreated light. And when God shone that light, the light of the Lord Jesus Christ, that's Jesus Christ there, when he shone that light on the dark world, it declared the glorious purpose of God for people. God was saying, I have a people here. I'm going to make a people here to whom I will be gracious. And I will forgive their iniquity. And I will give them life and love. And they shall know me through my darling son, the light whom I've sent. Christ has come to redeem the lost sinner. Christ has come to put away our sin. Christ has come to cover our nakedness. Christ has come to remove that enmity in our hearts and to restore that fellowship with holy God. That we should know him and call him our God, our Savior, our friend, our hope, our help, our all. If any man hear my words, he said, and believe not, I judge him not, for I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. He says his word that he speaks will, will judge us. Those that don't believe the word, but you that believe him, he's come to save you. He's come to save you. Verse 49, For I have not spoken of myself, but the Father which sent me. He gave me a commandment, what I should say and what I should speak. That's God's heart. Everything Christ said and did, that is God's heart for you sinners who have no righteousness of your own, no way of saving yourselves, who have no hope of salvation. Christ is given unto you for your hope. And it's a sure hope, a good hope, a perfect hope. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I know, verse 50, that his commandment is life everlasting. Whatsoever I speak, therefore, even as the Father said unto me, so I speak, so that you and I would know that Christ's words are words of life. Christ's words are words of peace, of forgiveness, of love, of liberty. To restore that which was lost. To give us an expected end. A good end. A good inheritance in the Lord Jesus Christ. He's all. He's gracious and he receives all who come to him for help and mercy. If Christ is gracious and merciful to all who come to him, it's because the Father who sent him is gracious and merciful to all who come to him in and by the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Christ is gracious and merciful. That's why he never turned any sinner away. That's why he was gracious to all who came to him. The friends of this world thought to speak ill of Christ, calling him a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of her children. (laughs) Oh, he's the friend of publicans and sinners? I love that man. I need him. I need to go to him. He's merciful and gracious to all who come to him. He's a friend of sinners, and that's what I am. And that's what you that are sinners, you hear that, and you go to him because he's drawing the sinner. He's drawing those that, that have no righteousness of themselves, and he's delivering his people from that enmity in our hearts. It says in Luke 15, 1 and 2, Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. All. 
all who know that they are sinners, they come to Christ and they're all forgiven. All of you who know that you are sinners have offended God and trespassed against him time and time and time and time again. He receives all who come to him seeking mercy and forgiveness in the Lord Jesus Christ. He turns none away, none away. And the Pharisees and the scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners and eateth with them. There's the testimony. There's the testimony. He receiveth sinners. He receiveth sinners. The natural man, the very thing that the natural man hates Christ for is the very thing that sinners love him for. Because he receives us. He receives us and heals us and forgives us. You know, I'm burdened with the weight of my sin when sometimes my foolishness, my folly, my sin comes back on me. Whether it's a recent sin or something from decades ago. And it'll just come back to me and just bother me and and just really make me feel so stinking low in myself. And it breaks my heart because there's nothing I can do to fix it or to change what I've done. I can't do anything about it. But I'm so thankful that Jesus is the friend of sinners. I'm so thankful to God for his love and, and faithfulness and doesn't turn me away and won't turn you away who are sinners and, and need him and come to him. He'll never turn you away. He's the friend of sinners. So those who believe God believe the Son and they follow Him. Our God tells us, you hear Him. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. You hear Him. I'm well pleased in Him. He's, he's speaking to you rightly. He's telling you exactly what you need to know. He's, he's the light. He's your light. You follow Him because He's speaking for me. And He's doing exactly what I sent Him here to do and Christ leads his lost sheep he finds them and he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake to the praise glory and honor of his name and he shows us the father and he and in him we receive all spiritual blessings because that's in whom the father gives them in heavenly places in Christ Jesus and this grace of God is seen and witnessed in them that believe Jesus Christ we believe him because it's a testimony, it's a witness of what God has done in our hearts. This faith isn't of the flesh, it's of God. And you that believe him and hope in him and have no other hope of righteousness, though your flesh is screaming out and saying, you're condemned, you're condemned, you're condemned, why do you waste your time? Because I don't know where to go. I have nowhere else to go. He alone has the words of eternal life. And I am sure that he is the Christ of God. And so we will not turn from that. Romans 4, 7 and 8 says, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. It's not for their works that the Lord forgives 
and imputes righteousness for faith. It's not for our works, it's for Christ's sake. Do I believe Christ? Do I believe Christ and confess him before men? Men of flesh dare not confess Christ alone, lest they should be put out of the synagogue of man's praise and high esteem. These reject Christ, and they crucify him afresh. And men still bend to the world and what the world wants, that they might be counted among Caesar's friends and be called friends of the world. But what can Caesar do for you? Our Lord said, What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? But unto those who trust the friend of sinners, they go to him, go to him, go unto him without the camp bearing his reproach. We go to him because we're sinners. (laughs) We bear that reproach because we're sinners. Sinners saved by the grace of God who has made Christ unto us wisdom and righteousness, sanctification and redemption, everything we need. Everything we need, God has given to us fully, freely in the Lord Jesus Christ. We believe the promise of God revealed in him because by grace we have been made the friends of God. By grace, by the spirit of grace. James said, Abraham believed God, and he was called the friend of God. The friend of God. We once were friends of this world. Now we're reconciled to God by the friend of sinners. And he's given us his spirit who's regenerated us so that we are become the friends of God. By grace. Through that same faith that Abraham had, all by the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful, (laughs) so thankful for the grace of God. I'm so thankful for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm thankful for you, brethren, whose hope is in Christ, whose friend is, is my friend too, the Lord Jesus Christ, the friend of sinners. Amen.